Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octonom verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Debbie Mama Lee is an author, public speaker, and political activist who has traveled the nation telling her son's amazing story and advocating for our troops, their families, and their families of the fallen. Debbie understands the sacrifice that our troops make and that freedom is not free. On August 2nd, 2006, she received a knock at the door that would forever change her life. She was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed in action, becoming the first Navy SEAL killed in Iraq. Since that day, Debbie has dedicated her life to honoring our troops and the families of the fallen, defending our defenders, and fighting to keep the freedoms that our troops have fought so valiantly for. She's worked tirelessly to ensure that our troops and military and Gold Star families have access to respite and important services that help assist recovery after injury or loss. By God's strength, she chooses to rise above the most devastating circumstances of her life to impact others' lives, giving them hope and encouragement. In response to her son's last letter home, to pass on the love, the kindness, and the precious gift of human life. She founded America's Mighty Warriors and is providing programs that improve quality of life, resilience, and recovery. Debbie has completed a multitude of cross-country tours, visited Gitmo, and visited Iraq in 2007 and 2010, becoming the first Gold Star mother in history to visit the combat zone where her son died. She's conducted over 1,000 media interviews and has been a regular on Fox News. She's appeared on stage with Tim McGraw at the ACMAs in 2007 and has met with President Bush on numerous occasions and can be found on Capitol Hill advocating for our troops. AmericasMightyWarriors.org is where you can learn more about her. And I know that I put a long string on that kite, but I just wanted to give people a really great background of who you are, what you're doing. And to thank you so much for being here today. You bet. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for, for having me. Whenever I can share more of Mark's powerful story and what we're doing in his memory, that's a great day. Yeah, it's incredible. For those that haven't listened to your interview with Jocko, which is three and a half hours, it's incredible. But I love the the deep dive that he went into about you, about your past, about your wrestling with adversity. Because oftentimes I have noticed that the strongest people usually are the ones that are able to take that process in, in a in a healthy way. They choose to make it into something healthy. When something bad happens to us, you mentioned hurt people hurt people. And sometimes we don't understand that when something as difficult is happening to us, we have a decision. We can choose to perpetuate it, or we can say, the buck stops with me. I'm choosing to move in a new direction. And I believe that lots of times when we're in the hardest parts of our lives, 
it takes a lot of courage to have that kind of clarity to uh, detach, as Jocko would say. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think that so much was, it's just like the Navy SEALs. When they go through their training to see if they've got what it takes to be a SEAL, as they go through what they call BUDS, which is basic underwater demolition, they push those guys hard. And part of that, they want to make sure they weed out those that when they get into a crisis battle and a confrontation where they know how they're going to think in the depth of the toughest battles they could face. And so they push them hard. You know, when they go through hell week, that um, week of testing, they get four hours of sleep the entire week. And it's like 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, literally to push them to see when our body says, time out, I give up, I can't go any further. Can they still push through that? Not because their body isn't exhausted and worn out, because it is, but it's the mental fortitude that they're like, nope, this is not going to stop me. I'm going to take one more step. I'm going to run one more stride. I'm going to swim one more stroke. They're not like, you know, I think I'll do a marathon right now because you'd be like, I can't do this. But it was in that testing of those trials that they were proven to be able to earn that trident. And I think for me, it's those different trials in life that I did go through, some of them self-inflicted trials. But as I went through those trials and was tested and continued to endure and endure and push through and push through, then God was preparing me for what would be the toughest trial I could ever go through. And that was the day that we were notified that Mark had been killed. And my choice at that point, and I didn't even think about it, I knew that this would be, um, I've been a widow for 29 years, you know, for those who hadn't listened to my story on the Jocko podcast, but um, I'd seen God walking through death before, and I knew he was going to be my strength. He had not changed. My circumstances had drastically changed, but he was still the same God on August 2nd as he was on August 1st. And so I knew that I knew that I knew he would get me through. I knew it would be much tougher. But I wouldn't have had that confidence in him if I hadn't gone through other trials and tried to do it on my own, thinking, you know, I got this. I'll let you know. And then I would fall flat on my face. It's not like every time I went through a trial that I had that strength to go through it as that strength that God's given me after Mark died. Not that that strength wouldn't have been given to me by God for the other ones, but because I was like, yeah, I got this. I'm in control. (laughs) like, well, yeah, watch this. You're you're not. You may think you are, but you're not. And we have to get to that place where we are outside of anything we think we can handle or cope, then where we're like, uh, uncle, time out. I need help. So yeah, we that's the beauty of adversity. It strips away all this stuff that we think that we are, all these things that we think to be true. And then it just knocks us down to our brass tacks. And that's when we're broken the most. And it's like, I don't know what else to do. And that's when you have to surrender. That's when you have to be in that place and say, now what? And that's when we find that. Yeah, 100%. It's so powerful. And so can you tell us a little bit about that day, about when you got the knock on the door? Tell us about what you went through and and how you were able to continue on. Yeah, like I said, Toughest moment probably of my life. We were um, actually at my Bible study at my small group. Uh, we met every Wednesday night. 
my birthday was exactly the week before and mm. we hadn't met that week. So we'd had our normal meeting and then we were celebrating my birthday. And my girlfriend had given me one of the willow tree angels. And those are the collector angels that um, they look like they're wooden, but I think they're actually plaster or ceramic, but, and they have wire wings and each one of them is a different character quality. And the one she gave me was courage. And she said, you just remind me of such a woman of courage of all you've been through in your life and that you continue to have a positive attitude and you continue to serve God. And little did it, we know how much more courage was going to be required in the next few moments. And um, I always turned my phone off. But again, not as we said, not coincidences, but God had me leave my phone on that night. And so as we were having cake and ice cream and just sitting there visiting my son, Christopher Gall, and nothing in his voice to alarm me that anything was wrong. He wasn't speaking too fast. He wasn't crying. He wasn't freaked out. And he's just like, hey, mom, where are you? And I'm like, well, it's Wednesday night. I'm, I'm at small group. Why? What's up? And he said, how long will it take you to get home? And I thought, that's a weird question. And I said, I don't know, five minutes, seven minutes. Why? What's up? And he said, you just need to come home. And I knew the last time that Mark was at my house before he deployed, as he was leaving, my son Christopher and I were standing on the, the lawn outside waving goodbye to him. And after he turned the corner, we started to walk back in. I said, I don't feel good about this. And he said, neither do I, Mom. And I am not a warrior, Frederick. That is just not my personality. It's just not who I am. But something inside, you know, I don't know, was God trying to prepare me? I don't know how you ever prepare for getting that news. But as we, you know, walked back inside and that thought came to me, you know, and it's not like every day that a black car went by, you know, that I went, oh, is today a day? Is today a day? You know, I prayed more for Mark than I prayed for anything else in my life. Does that mean that God didn't hear me or that God doesn't answer prayer? Uh, God had another plan. And it's been 17 years since we lost Mark. And that kid is still changing the world in such a crazy way. He is still saving his teammates' lives. That would not have happened if he had still been here. And so even in the midst of it, God didn't cause Mark's death, but didn't take him by surprise. And he's used that to continue to change lives around the world, to save lives and to make a huge difference. And that's why our mantra is hashtag make your mark. You know, wherever you're at, go make your mark. Go change your world. Maybe it's just a little tiny corner of the world. You're not supposed to start a foundation like I did or, you know, have an echelon front or have a podcast like you're doing, but everybody can be making a difference. And so as I went back that night and after I got off the phone with Chris and he said, you just need to come home. I went back to knowing what was going to face me. And uh, as I got in my car, there was a song from my past and the words to it were, I put my hope in you, O Lord, trusting you, I will not be shaken. Knowing that you will see me through, I put my hope in you. And I just sang that over and over and over. And I got to the main intersection by my house and it was totally blocked off. There were three or four fire trucks. There were ambulances and police cars and emergency vehicles blocking the entire intersection. And as I pulled up on that intersection, I'm like, oh, my house blew up. That's all that's wrong, you know? And I would have rather lost all of my earthly possessions and still had Mark. And to this day, it was really weird because the, the other day I pulled out of my subdivision and I lived just about a mile south of where I did at the time. And that that intersection had that same thing. There, there'd been something that happened. And I haven't seen that in 17 years at that intersection. 
I may have seen, you know, police car, but not total mayhem where there's so many emergency vehicles. And I was telling my daughter-in-law, oh my gosh, so weird as I saw that, it took me back to that moment when I pulled up on that 17 years ago. And you wouldn't think 17 years later that would still have that great of an impact. But it was just like, oh. But to this day, I don't know how I got back into my subdivision. I don't know how I got through that intersection. But as I got back into my subdivision, there were no emergency vehicles. So I'm like, okay, I'm back to knowing what's going to face me. And as I turned that corner, I expected to see a black car parked in front of my house. And there was no black car. There were no unusual cars. They parked way down the street. It was just my son, Christopher, on the sidewalk, just pacing back and forth. He was in the Marines. He knew, you know, when they show up in uniform at your house, he knew what the outcome was. They wouldn't tell him, but he didn't need to be told. And um, I jumped out of the car and he said, Mom, the Navy's here. And I remember just falling on his shoulder, just crying, no, no. And um, as I walked inside, they'd actually been trying to find me. Mark had died about 10 hours earlier. um, They were trying to find me at my old house up in Oregon where I lived. I know that Mark changed the new address. I know he updated the paperwork. But if they would have found me that morning, I'd have been by myself. And so even in that circumstance, I could see God's hand, you know, of protection around me so that my son was with me when I found out. And um, they'd been trying to find me for several hours once they, you know, were at my house because I wasn't home. And the neighbor, they knocked on her door and said, do you know where she's at? Do you know how to get a hold of her? And said, well, I don't have her cell phone, but I know her son works at Lowe's. And so they went down to Lowe's and found him. And that's how he was able to call me. But um, they'd been in my home for a couple hours while this was all happening. Or once, you know, Chris had got there with them. And uh, they said, we can tell by being in your home that you're a woman of faith. And you're going to need to rely on that faith for what we're about to tell you. Your son, Mark Allen Lee, has been killed in action. And as a parent, that's our worst nightmare to ever think that anything would happen to those gifts that we've been given of our children. And uh, yet, as I said before, I knew, I knew that I knew that I knew at that moment that God was with me, that he was going to see me through, that he was going to give me strength to survive. I knew it would be way harder than losing my husband. But I knew I'd seen God walk me through death before. I knew he would do it again. And uh, as I sat there and talked with the chaplain and the capo officer, I have a small window um, that was next to the door in that house. And as I looked out, I saw my friend standing outside and I'm like, what on earth are you doing out there? You know, and I motioned for him to come in. I need you in here. And my neighbor next door to me at the time was from New York, very proper. And he told them, no, 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 you don't go in. You wait, you know, until she tells you to come in. You respect that. And so they were waiting out there. And once they came in, you know, I shared with them, you know, what had happened. And we prayed and we cried and talked about Mark and tried to process it. And cried a lot. And they stayed there for several hours and, and left probably, I don't know, about 11 o'clock, 1130 at night. And my son, Christopher, who I mentioned served in the Marines, met his wife in Okinawa. And um, this was before they had the five children that they do now. She would go home every summer for six months and spend time with her family. And she had gone home and uh, 
the year before, both my daughter and daughter-in-law had lost babies at five months in their pregnancy, which is not a normal time. Usually if you miscarry, it's early in that first trimester. And so right away, our hearts were concerned for them and that with their grief and stress, they might lose another baby. So he chose not to tell her. And I still to this day, I have no idea, you know, that strength that he had to have conversations with her every day and not let on. He knew that she would be home in time for the funeral, but it was about a week's time before she got home. And so how he did that without letting on is, is beyond me. And, um, he said, I'm, I'm going to go to bed, mama. I'm going to stay here tonight with you. And I said, thank you, son. He said, I'm going to try to get some sleep. And um, I knew there was no way sleep was coming to me that night. And I mentioned I've been a widow for 29 years. At that point, it had been 12 years. And I just wanted somebody to hold me and tell me it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. And there wasn't anybody there. But I came back to knowing when I lost my husband, where did my strength come from? Who was my comforter? And so I'm like, okay, it was God. You know, I'm going to go grab my Bible and I'm going to see, you know, what words in, in scripture he has for me. And it literally opened to Psalms 27. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me. And I'm reading this going, are you kidding me right now? I don't think this was in the Bible before. I think God wrote this today for me. And um, the second to last verse said, I would have lost hope if I had not believed I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And I will strengthen your heart. I saw that courage thing. I'm like, wait, I got the courage angel at the beginning of this. And now you're reminding me of courage. I get it, God. You're telling me I've got to have courage. And courage is not that you're not ever afraid of anything or that you don't fear pain or that you don't go through struggles. It means in the middle of the adversity that you keep pushing forward. And so for me, um, I could not have felt God closer to me if he'd have physically been there. And I did feel him, you know, embracing me and holding me and telling me it was going to be okay. And as I closed my Bible, I was in tears for both, you know, tears for the loss of Mark, but tears going, oh my gosh, God, the way that you revealed yourself to me was felt so strongly. And I've never audibly heard him speak, but in my thoughts, he said, I want you to read this at Mark's funeral. I want you to give everybody else that same hope I've given you. And I know at that point, I was probably like a teenager, like, oh, are, are you kidding me, God? This is my son's funeral. I don't know what I'll do. I don't know if I'll pass out. I don't know if I'll throw up. And I paused and I said, okay, I will walk through whatever doors you open, thinking it just meant to speak at Mark's funeral and read that scripture to everybody. And I had a backup plan in case I couldn't make it through, but he did. He gave me amazing strength to be able to read that and share the parts of scripture I felt were what God was speaking to me for Mark and what was for me and what was for everybody else. And he did, he, you know, he doesn't fail us. He doesn't let us down when we're willing to walk through. I had no idea what doors he was going to ask me to walk through. I thought it was just to share that at Mark's funeral. But um, it's been pretty amazing to see what he continues to do every day. And I, I love that you brought that up about courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. As a matter of fact, we have to have legitimate fear 
to uncover what genuine courage we actually have. And it's very easy, especially today, you see it as very braggadocious. I'm a warrior. I do these things. But it's very easy to say that when there's no adversity, when there's no barbarians at the gate, because many people have no clue what they're going to do until they're in it. And the very fact that they don't know shows me how much they need to be delving into themselves to do this work because you did a tremendous amount of work on yourself even before this adversity struck you down. Yeah, and I think that's so true. We all like to think that faced with the circumstance, you know, that would be difficult or require a lot of courage, that we'd be able to do that, stand strong. But we don't. We don't know. And again, going back to Bud's, all those guys, every one of those guys that went to Bud said, I can do this. I got what it takes. And yet 80% wash out and don't have what it takes. So I'm thinking if the 80% in that circumstance, you know, the tip of the spear there, the probably 80% of us don't have that courage naturally, you know, to, to be able to face that or deal with that or that we're not prepared to do that. We'd like to think we could, but, you know. And that's the thing about this too. You had gone through a lot of hardship in your life leading up to this. And in many ways, it was this small incremental strengthening, this adaptation, because had everything been perfect and then this happened. There's no way that I would have been able to stand. Uh, It would have been too much. It would have been too overwhelming to say, why? Why should I continue on? What's the point now? You know, even though I had two other children, even though I had several grandchildren, I have 11 now and I didn't have all of them back then. I'd have to look back at the date and see how many I did have. But not that they wouldn't be a reason to continue on. But the emotion, there were times that, you know, people talk about heartbreak. There were times my heart physically, not just emotionally, my heart physically hurt and felt like it was broken. And I remember after the shooting in um, Uvalde, Texas at that school, that I don't know if you remember the one teacher that was killed, then her husband died. I don't know if it was the next day or two days later. And um, they didn't call it a heart attack. They said, there's something that happens in grief that physically impacts the heart and changes it. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I wasn't actually thinking my heart, my heart was really physically going through some changes and was physically broken, not just emotionally. Toughest thing I've ever been through. So if it hadn't been for the adversity that I went through and at at different strengths for those different adversities, at different lengths of time that it took me to overcome those, if I hadn't gone through that and see that, yes, by God's strength, I can survive. I can get through this. I, I have no doubt that if it wasn't for my faith and my relationship with Christ, and it's it's a relationship, it's not a religion, that I would have taken my life. You know, my husband committed suicide. It would have been really easy just to say, I have been through so much pain in my life. I, I can't do this anymore. No, no person should have to go through this much pain. But um, again, that's our ego speaking to us. Who am I to say I shouldn't have to go through any more pain? Give it to somebody else. You know, that's not what, you know, warriors do is they don't quit. They don't give up. They don't like, eh, go find that person. Let them carry the the burden or the pain. You know, you're like, 
okay. Um, and, and like I said, God didn't cause Mark's death, but it didn't take him by surprise. So he knew that I was prepared. He knew that I was ready to trust him, not in my own strength, but he knew that I was ready to trust him to see me through. And that's so powerful because like you said, had you chose to take that route, everything about Mark Lee would not have the same light. It would not have the same impact that it does now. It would be this, this sad thing that everybody's like, Oh my God, did you hear what happened? Not only that, but then did you hear what his mom, what everybody else. Right. So that's, Oh my God. And people don't understand that, that are struggling with suicidal thoughts. They get so far in the depth of their own pain that they think it's going to be a help. My family will be better off. The people at work don't like me anyway. The whole world's going to be better without me. And if they would just realize that then they are just passing their pain on, not only the pain they carried, but now it's multiplied. It's multiplied if you're married to your spouse, to your children, to your family, to your friends, to your teammates. Now you multiplied that pain to so many other people. And um, it is in pain that you should pass on to anybody else, you know, and that's part of what we're doing in America's Mighty Warriors is helping our veterans who are struggling that way. Who better to help them than someone who's walked through that? You know, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have the ability to be able to relate to them. And I've got a lot of love and respect from our veterans because of Mark and because of what we've done in America's Mighty Warriors. But there's been times as I'm talking to the ones on the phone that are like, ready you know and they're struggling and they're like you have no idea what i'm going through and then i'll say actually my husband committed suicide 29 years ago and you can just feel the walls come tumbling down and they just start to open up and pour their heart out because they now they do trust they do know that i do understand what they're struggling with what their families are struggling with and that they feel hopeless and then i can give them hope and tell them we're providing healing therapies you don't have to be like this the rest of your life we can fix this are there things you need to do to help yes you need to get off the drugs you need to get off the alcohol you need to self-medicating you need to start sleeping better you need to quit telling yourself you're a failure you can't measure up or you can't do something and that wouldn't have happened again without those struggles and the understanding you know by having walked through that when my husband took his life and there's something that I've found too, because when I was paralyzed from the neck down, preparing to deploy, I was suicidal. Yeah. Like I wanted nothing more in my life than to take my life. But yet, had that happened, you and I wouldn't be speaking. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to tell my story, to help other people, to to do all the things that we're doing now. So it's very much about this idea that, and especially today with social media and a lot of things, it's very easy for us to become self-centered. Everything is about us. What do I think about this? I'm offended by that. I don't want to do that. I don't think that. But we have to understand that in the grand scheme of things, there's a lot more going on around us. And if we can choose to not think about me, but think about we, whether it be looking after your your battle buddy, your swim buddy, people around you on your team, that's how we can alleviate our own pain by helping alleviate pain in those around us. Yeah. And I often say, Without the pain of losing Mark, I would not have the passion. I would not have the purpose that I do today. You know, I was in a place I had retired early. I was 50 when I retired. That's why I moved down to Arizona. I was dating a guy 
wanted to get married. And eh, there were some red flags. I wasn't sure. But I was just trying to find a perfect man because I'm not the perfect woman. So I'm kind of like, okay, I'll, you know, I had a preschool and kindergarten. So I closed the school for the summertime. It was a little more daycare and figured I'll come down here and live. You know, property was pretty cheap. So bought a house it was the day I took possession. And I'm like, well, run, sweetheart, run. These are not red flags. This is not good. But, um, and I had a backup plan. And that was, if it didn't work, I could rent the house out for $300 more a month than I was paying on all my expenses. So I decided, okay, fix it up, clean it up, get ready to rent and go back to Oregon. Well, in the meantime, I fell in love with Arizona and the sunshine. And I said, my goal's, you know, to retire at 50. I do turn 50 this summer. I think I can make it happen. And so I did. I retired early. Um, I was kind of going back and forth between here and Oregon when my son Christopher got out of the Marines. Then um, his wife liked the warmer climate and they were going to live down here. So I said, okay, I'm just moving everything. Nobody's still in Hood River, Oregon. So I'm going to go at least where my body feels better. And I've got one of my kids. You know, Mark was in the Navy SEALs. My daughter and her husband were both Louisiana because he was serving in the Army. And, um, but it was kind of boring. <laughs> you know, at 50 and being a widow, everybody I know is working. There's nobody to go do anything with. I'm like, wait, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. But again, God knew where I needed to be when I lost Mark. And um, so to have that time and that, you know, listening to where his promptings were and leading me to see what that next mission was, then without that pain, and like you said, without your struggles, without your pain, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing today, you know, and wouldn't be doing it so passionately, you know. So I'm glad you're still with us. I'm glad you didn't give up. I'm glad you didn't either. And I'm glad that you're inspiring others to to take that courageous decision. And again, it's one day at a time. It's one moment at a time. It's it's not always going to be easy. But the idea is, even with when Jocko or when Leif would call you, and when I first heard it, I thought, oh, she was, and, and what I'm alluding to, for those of you that aren't familiar, they would call to support you and say, hey, how can we help? And she would just bounce it back at them. She's like, what do you guys need? What can I send you guys? What can I do on this side? And I, at first I thought it was just deflection because you didn't want to actually process. But then as I got to really know who you are as a person, it wasn't at all this thing of just denial. I'm just going to you know, pour into these guys so that I can avoid it. You weren't trying to circumvent emotion. You were embracing it as, as powerfully as you possibly could and trying to stay close to the source of that in many ways just so that it could give you the capacity to help these guys that need it the most, to give you the passion and the vision for the mission that you're doing now with America's Mighty Warriors and everything else. And again, it was for me, you know, and that was the the night they called. That was, you know, right when we'd been notified. Right. And I knew my brain was lush, you know. I couldn't make any decisions. But it didn't matter. Nothing that I was going to decide would be life-threatening. And um, because now I realized, you know, I think we all thought, you know, our SEALs are exempt from, you know, they're trained well. They've got the best equipment. You know, they're, they're going to be fine. And uh, once that reality, you know, was like, oh, crud, you know, and how bad the enemy was in Ramadi at the time that then my heart went to, oh my gosh, you know, and Mark tried to explain the brotherhood thing to me. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I get it. You're close to these guys. You trained hard with them. You know, you've gone into combat. I get it. You're super close, but as close as your brother you grew up with for 28 years. And he'd say, yeah, mom, 
that close. And I just say, ah, well, let me remind you, I didn't birth them, so they really can't be your brothers. <laughs> and we kind of left the conversation at that. But I realized after he died, oh, those are his brothers. They love him as much as we do, and they're hurting just as much as we are. And so, you know, my heart went to them. They're in the combat zone. How are they going to continue on? How are they not going to be in a place where someone else is ki- killed? Okay, what can I do to help you? You know, I'm praying for you. That's my first start. But what do you need? How can I help? And it, um, I always tell people, Mark's final gift to me was his teammates. And I knew it was a precious gift when, you know, he first died. And I first realized that that was a gift back to me. And they started calling me Mama Lee. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're they're not just calling me this night or the week of these they're going to be in my life until I die. Um, But it it was so impactful. And, and now 17 years later, I see, oh my gosh, it was so much more valuable than I ever thought in helping us with the mission that we're doing here in America's Mighty Warriors, but that love and support. And I am a blessed woman. Thank you, Mark, for giving me all those boys. (laughs) And his his leadership capacity there, how much his humor, I think people underestimate humor in times of crisis, um, especially when it comes to being a leader. When you're out there and you're getting ready to go do something that's obviously very serious, it was his energy was infectious. The way that he gave people that lightness, he gave them permission to not feel as much pressure. And again, that's something that I don't think people understand until they've been in that situation. And then when something happens and you can, you're, you're thinking to yourself, you're laughing about it. It, it gives you so it's much that release. Hope. Yes. And it's that release. It's like the, and I talk about pressure cookers now and I'm like, uh, do people even understand what a pressure cooker is? anymore? <laughs> but it had this, you know, it was a pot that you sealed, you know, and closed the handle over and it sealed tight. And then it had a little valve on the top and it had, uh, thing that you put on the valve and it would release the pressure when it needed to. And I said, that's what, you know, humor is in those circumstances. When things are intense, your body needs a way so it doesn't destroy your body to release that. And that's that's what the humor does, you know. And I used to tease Mark because he got class clown his junior year and class clown his senior year. And I'm like, <laughs> and this is going to get you to college how? <laughs> and now I see, again, that was a gift that God gave him in his personality and who he was that got him way more than a college education. You've been asked so many questions about this subject and about Mark and about his life and about what you're doing with your with your mission. Is there something that you see people, how do I say it? A question that you're surprised that people are not aware of, or maybe something you haven't been asked before. Because when I'm asked, after I speak, people ask the same sort of questions sometimes. And I'm like, there's just a fundamental truth here that you guys aren't seeing. And then I try to expound that to get that to them. Is there anything that comes to mind when you think about that? I don't know that anything really comes to mind. I think Lots of times, you know, that um, pity, you know, people feel like you go through this and there's something wrong with you if you're not having a pity party. And trust me, you cannot. And there are people that will do things to avoid going through grief 
by, like you said earlier, about being busy, about doing things. And all that does is that intensifies your pain. You've got to go right smack dab through the middle of pain to get to the healthier side or grief. You can't avoid it. You can't ignore it because it doesn't go away. So, you know, unfortunately with the grieving process, you know, I tell people you can't go over it, under it, around it. It's got to be head on smack through the middle of it. So people need to be careful that they're, when they're grieving or hurting, whether it's pain and, you know, from a relationship failure, from a divorce, whether it's financial pain, don't ignore it, you know, do those things that are healthy. Don't self-medicate, you know, to avoid that pain either. Find those things that are healthy to process through it. Sometimes you're walking, you know, three steps forward and you come back one, but you just keep going forward. You keep going through, you keep pressing on. And as you get, you know, I tell people all the time with your tears, don't hold those tears back. That is part of the healing process. Obviously, I don't sit around all day long and cry for Mark. What good would that do? In the beginning, did I? Yeah. I felt like just, I I should have lost 50 pounds with the tears that I shed. I didn't, but, <laughs> you know, you just, you feel, you're, it's the body's way of it, that intense grief in the beginning. Uh, again, like that pressure cooker, that's how you release it. That's how you release it. Um, obviously, that would not be appropriate for me 17 years later to sit and cry all day long. That means you haven't processed through, you haven't got to the healthier side. So, you know, again, you take control of those circumstances and you say, okay, I'm not going to cry all day long. I'm going to vent. I'm going to let this get out of my system. Then I'm going to get up and go make my mark. You know, I'm going to go exercise. You know, and I started it early on, you know, looking in the morning when I walk, woke up before my feet even hit the ground, find one thing to be grateful for. And I remember in my head, this conversation with God, when he prompted me to do that, and I'm just like, are you kidding me? I've got, I've got nothing, God. And he's like, do you have hot water in your shower? Well, duh. Yeah, I live in America. Our troops, a lot of them aren't even on a base where they have hot water because my heart was so focused on our troops at that point and understanding more so the sacrifice, I was like, oh, yes, of course, forgive me. What an idiot I am, you know? And so then I started doing that every morning, finding one thing. And it was hard in the beginning to take that focus. And it's almost like you could feel your mind doing this battle inside going, no, you got nothing. Yes, you do. No, you don't. Yes, you do. And then it's like, oh, look at that beautiful butterfly. Something simple. You know, yes. or, you know, I'd have one of my grandkids over. Oh, my gosh, what a blessing. Look at their smile. Aren't they cute? You know, and then every day I would find one thing, you know, whether it's thank you for the sunshine today. Thank you for the friend that came over and brought me a loaf of bread. Thank you for there's something contagious when you start your day that way. Yes. But the rest of the day, you're finding things that you're so grateful for. And you're like, wow, look at the blessings I do have. I encourage people to go exercise. In the beginning, you know, when I did that, it's like, I just want to lay in bed all day. I just want to lay here and cry. And it's like, nope, get up and walk to the end of the driveway. And I would get up and walk to the end of the driveway. Now, it wasn't a big feat. My driveway was about as long as my car was. But I did something. And then I felt good because I did something that I wasn't laying in bed. And I'm competitive. So then the next day, I'm like, okay, walk to the end of the block. 
again, there was only one house between me and But it was like, it was a little bit further. I walk five miles every day now. I do not go to bed if I don't have my five miles in. I can't do it all at once because my knees don't tolerate the five miles, but I've learned my body. And that's something I just do every day. And it's like, I don't even have to think about it anymore. And then I tell people, go serve somebody else. There's always people that are way off worse than we are. Even if in the beginning, you can't organize an event or go figure out what, you know, group to work with. Go ask your neighbor if you can walk their dog. You know, they got kids next door. Go take a meal to them. Offer to watch their kids while they go to the grocery store. There's things that we can do. And when you're serving, you're not focused on yourself. You know, so you're focused on someone else. And those three things, I don't care what kind of pain you're going through. They will make such a difference if you just do those three simple things. I love that. And it's so true. Gratitude is a verb. It's not this passive defeated mentality. And I see a lot of people that practice gratitude, but again, you have to go do something. And when you're doing that, that's when you begin to believe. That's when you're demonstrating that you do have gratitude for this thing. If I'm grateful for my wife and my kids, they should be able to see it. They should be able to sense it just by the way I walk in the room, let alone if I come and say, hey, I'm grateful for you. It's like that that should be a kind of a, yeah, I get it. Duh. I just wrote Earlier today, I was working on our Veterans Day letter, and that's what I put in there. You know, don't just say thank you to a veteran. Show them. Of course, I was describing who all our veterans are, making it a little more obvious for the civilians who don't understand the sacrifices that are made or don't understand how diverse a group we are, the different branches of the military. But, um, you know, that's what I put in there is don't just say thank you, you know. Go take them on our mark. He challenges us in his last letter home to buy a meal, take a gas, a cup of coffee. Do that for our veterans. Show them. Don't just say it because it just feels to a lot of our veterans like that's just wrote. Oh, thank you for your service. Oh, big deal. You know, support one of our programs that we do to help heal them. Make a difference to show them. And, you know, one of the ways I autograph the books that I'm a contributing author on is live your life worthy of their sacrifice. And that should be a daily thing, not a, oh, check, I did it on Veterans Day, I'm good the rest of the year. That's something, no, when you wake up, the freedoms that we do have, although they're changing a lot in America lately, but um, the ones that we do have, that's our veterans through the centuries who've defended you and your freedom so that we could have those. Thank them for that. Live that life, showing them that you do appreciate and you do recognize who gave those freedoms. They didn't just happen. It's not by accident. And in my book and in my TEDx, I say that there are hundreds of thousands who would give anything to have the things that we're complaining about, that my Wi-Fi is not fast enough or my coffee's not hot enough. It's like, really? Like is, And I yeah. found that it's very easy to go into that negative spiral I've also found that people that don't appreciate anything around them do so because they don't truly appreciate even what they already have. And yeah, so now true. nothing's good enough. This relationship's not a good enough, whatever it is. And then what do you do? You you perpetuate that. People, a lot of people don't want to be around that. So what are you doing now? You're repelling them. And this idea that you're talking about with grief, I absolutely agree. Lots of times we try to push it to the side and push it to the side. And it can be the grief of the loss of a loved one. But for some people, it can be the grief of a relationship, a job, a status of whatever that may be. And if I keep pushing that grief to the side, eventually 
my life just revolves around avoiding this single thing, which means my family's life vicariously revolves around the fact that I don't have the courage to sit down and look at this thing in the eye and say, okay, I see you, but you're not going to stop me. And I'm going to walk through you. And the bad part of that, when you don't resolve that, then the next time that you go through something, it's piled up on top of that. Oh yeah. And the next time you go through something, it's piled up. And pretty soon you get this massive pile of crap, <laughs> but it that's not resolved with. And that's when the explosion happens. That's when it's so overwhelming. So we do want to keep our slates clean and take care of it when we're there. And I think so, so often it's our ego that won't let us deal with that or feel like this isn't good enough or I deserve better. Or, look what his wife does or look at the job they've got. You know, are you somebody so special that God should have dropped that all in your lap? You know, did you work for any of that? Are you, you know, trying to change anything in yourself? <laughs> you know, we can't change anybody else. The only one we can change is ourselves. So. That's it. I always say that the greater the weight to face adversity, the greater the weight of that adversity when we actually face it, because now it's accumulated. And as you're saying, if we get in front of it now, is it going to be difficult? Sure. But it's going to be a lot harder if I wait a week, two weeks, a month to get there. It's this idea that there's two ways to deal with it, correctly or again. I'd rather deal with it correctly if we can, right? 100%. And I think so many of our veterans that we're working with that are really at that, you know, I'm done. Last last straw. I've got a plan. It's over. And not always, because I won't say always or never on anything. But the majority of them. It goes back to childhood trauma that wasn't dealt with. And then the, the combat has just complicated because we see so many of our veterans that go through, you know, things way worse than a lot of them that are struggling, you know, with suicide and come out and are, are good to go. I mean, do they have memories? Do they have loss that they carry? But they they keep pushing forward. They don't give up. You know, they know what their mission was. They know why they did it. Yeah, the pain of losing someone could be bad, but, you know, they've got that purpose and they know their why. And that's what we have to have to keep us going oftentimes. And again, what is that why or that purpose? Usually it's something bigger than us. Usually it's outside of just our or me kind of situation. So tell us more about the programs that you have and what you all are doing and how that's changing the lives of veterans today. Sure. And I think the first one that I started before I officially had a foundation was Mark's Random Acts of Kindness. It was easy for me. I could afford to buy a veteran a meal or a coffee. Um, back then, I could afford the tanks gas. Now, gas has gotten way higher. But <laughs> um, I could afford to do those things out of my own pocket as a way, yes. as we were talking earlier, not just to shake a hand and say thank you, but say, hey. I want to buy your coffee. I recognize where my freedoms come from. And I would say the majority of the time, they're like, no, 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 you don't, you don't need to do that. I'd be like, hey, uh, my son was the first seal that was killed in Iraq. And he wrote this last letter home that challenged me to do this. You know, and so, so then that changes things a little bit. They're like, oh, yes, ma'am. Thank you. But whether they're a Vietnam veteran or World War II, I don't know. We've got very few of those left. You know, Korea, where whenever they served, whether, you know, I don't ask them, when they serve and I do a random act of kindness, did you serve in combat? I don't care. You were willing 
to give your life for me. You That may not have been required during the time that you served, but we're willing to do that. And I want to say thank you. And then we, you know, that was the first program officially when we started in 2008. The first family that we served was Mike Monsieur's family, who was mm-hmm. killed about seven weeks after Mark was on Delta Platoon on Task Unit Bruiser with, with Mark, um, jumped on a grenade, you know, to, to save his teammates. And I knew still very fresh in the grief. Um, I came back home. We had great support from when we were notified until the funeral. And then I came back to Arizona. I'm not near the base in, you know, San Diego. Uh, I live by myself, you know, so now it's like the journey's just starting now and it hurt. It sucked. And again, I'm not one going to have a pity party because that's not going to bring Mark back. It's physically going to make me sick. Nobody's thinking I want to be around me and that's not how God wired me. And so I was like, okay, well, I can't do anything for my circumstance, but I can change it so nobody else has to go through this alone. And uh, Mark's teammates were still all deployed, you know, once they came back, you know, then that connection has both ways, you know, been a support there. But uh, so when we got word and it was Leif that called me and when we got the word, I I knew I needed to be there. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I just needed to be there. And if you know someone who's going through grief or pain or loss, just be there. You don't have to have a program in place. You don't have to have your words all, what if they say this or what if they ask that? Don't worry about it. Just go be there. If they want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. If they don't want to talk about it, they won't talk about it. But just knowing there's someone there that cares speaks volumes in that support when you're, you know, going through grief or loss. But I got over there. Of course, I've got the family staying in the same hotel they put us up in and, um, I got a room in that hotel so I could be near them. And in the morning, they were downstairs and I just walked up and hugged them. Sally Monsoor, Mike's mom, had been at Mark's funeral. I didn't remember that. I mean, I was so numb. I didn't remember a lot. And I just said, I'm so, so sorry. And the Admiral uh, for the SEALs came up to me at the time and just was like, how are you doing? Like, oh, I'm hanging in there. And uh, he said, "We, we want you to go with the family. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not about Mark. This is not about me. I am here to support that family. And they said, exactly. And he kind of had a pleading look in his eyes. He's like, please ride with the family to support them. I'm like, oh, yes, yes, sir. Got this. Um, And it's the same vehicles, you know, that we'd ridden in. I don't know if it's the exact same, but the same type of vehicle, same color. And we got up to the cemetery and it's the same cemetery where Mark's buried. We got out. It was even the same casket. You know, same style of casket Mark had been in. And now my heart is just being ripped open. And now I do know what it's like to receive that flag and have them say on behalf of a grateful nation. Um, I was only seven weeks ahead, but I still alive. So I gave them the hope that, you know, you can survive. You can get through this. And it wasn't like there was anything that I had planned or done. Literally, I was just there, just loving on them and hugging them. Then we started doing the random acts of kindness. So 2008 was when we officially started. We do those random acts of kindness. So days like Veterans Day, Mark's birthday, or the anniversary of his passing. I go do those. I go to the base or I, you know, go to a restaurant, find veterans with hats on that identify them. And I do that. And it is so encouraging. I mean, to see that on those special days, I'm always like, Mark, thank you for leaving me that letter and that great idea. Uh, we've expanded that program, so it now goes up to uh, $5,000 ran back to kindness. The veteran themselves can't come ask because we have had, you know, found lots of veterans going from charity to charity to see what they can take. 
that's not who we want to help. So if you knew somebody, you could reach out and say, hey, I've known this guy for five years, 10 years, all my life. You know, he'd be the last person to ask for help. His daughter has cancer. You know, they can't work. They've got medical insurance that's covering the cost of it, but they can't be at work because they want to be with their daughter. They can't afford childcare for the other kids because mom now is in the hospital with the daughter. And so we submit that to the board. Usually within 24 hours, we'll have an approval and the, the funds on the way. We just recently did $50,000 to Lahaina for the fires there to help our veterans. Mm. And um, we found out one of the veterans that we were able to help was a firefighter. Why he was fighting the fires, his own house was burning down. And uh, we've learned that two to one, it's our veterans that lost more over there than civilians. And a lot of them, it was their business and their home that they lost. So to know in those tragic times, Mark's still impacting in his life in this world changing people's lives and you know how encouraging in the midst of that crisis to find out someone over in Arizona some foundation we probably maybe never heard of um you know has chose to say hey we're here you're not alone you know uh we do our our biggest program is our helping heroes heal program and that's for our veterans with post-traumatic stress traumatic brain injury that's from combat um, they do have to have an honorable discharge on that, but we cover the cost of a year's worth of treatments. We do 40 hyperbaric oxygen therapy dives. Those are actually healing their brains. So many of the guys, the frontal lobe of their brain, um, that's what the blast wave exposure has damaged. That's what controls your emotions. So yes. the raging emotions or the no emotions, and I'll feel anything and I get nothing. Whether it's the sleep or lack of, you know, which I've talked to so many of our veterans and I'm like, so what's normal night sleep in the beginning when I do this? And they're like, three hours. Oh, wow. How long have you been sleeping three hours a night? 10 years. I'm like, oh my gosh, if I have two nights of three hours sleep, you don't want to be around me. We wouldn't be having this conversation. I'd be like, I, I, I'm sorry, Marcus. What did I just say? What was your question? What were we talking? And it wouldn't be just once. It'd be constantly. And you'd be like, oh my gosh, why do I have her on here? But um that's it's crucial to them when they don't have sleep for that long. That's what also controls uh, the memory. So not being able to remember things. So many of our spouses get so frustrated. They're like, I sent him to the store for three things and he came back and had nothing. He couldn't remember. He's just jerking my chain. I'm like, no, he really can't remember, you know? And so once they see the spec scans of their brain and they see that, they realize, oh my gosh, there's physical things, not just emotional things that I'm dealing with here. And that gives them that hope to say, oh, okay, these can be healed. These can be helped. We can get through this. I don't have to live like this forever. Uh, and it's amazing how many lives literally that have come back, the veterans who said, I wouldn't be here today. It wasn't your foundation and the therapies that you've provided. Literally, I was, you know, had the gun loaded, ready to put it, you know, take my life. And um, so to see, I mean, how many people even just wants to be part of something where you're saving a lot, one life, but there's been so many more. And that's why I said Mark's still saving his teammates' lives. We have a house in Arizona, one in Florida, where our Gold Star families can come stay. This one's the Heroes Hope Home. The other one's Serenity Hope Home. We do retreats in Texas for our Helping Heroes Heal program veterans and their immediate families and for our Gold Star families. And that's for spouses, children, parents, siblings, and their immediate families. You know, um, there isn't anything we probably wouldn't do. Again, a lot of advocacy. So fighting right now, our battle up on the hill is trying to get hyperbaric oxygen therapy passed as a standard of care for treating our veterans. You know, they're looking at the psychedelics and mm -hmm. trying to pass legislation there. And that is some funky stuff. And that is just 
weird stuff. And it's not healing them. It, again, it's still just masking the symptoms. Right. They may feel better, but that's not healing the frontal lobe of your brain. If anything, it's causing more damage up there. And uh, as they said, there's probably not anything I wouldn't do for our veterans and their families and our Gold Star families, because I do understand that sacrifice that's made so that we can live free in America. Yeah. And we can donate at americasmightywarriors.org. Is that correct? Yes. And you can go to our store, all the books. There's We've got lots of books in there, either written by his teammates or I'm a contributing author in all of them. All the books are about Mark or dedicated to Mark. There's even uh, Jocko has his way of the warrior kid that we sell on there. That Mark is the, the main character, the little boy in the story. Now, it's not his life story growing up, but um, he would not have been afraid to jump off of a bridge. <laughs> he, he, he would get in the water. I don't know that he was a good swimmer because we didn't have money to pay for swim lessons. They were pretty poor, you know, as we grew up. But um, he wanted to do that to honor Mark. And uh, great leadership, kids' leadership books. There's Mikey and the Dragon that, it, again, named for Mike Monsoor. And the little kid has, you know, problems with fear. He's afraid every time he opens the closet or under his bed, there's a dragon. And uh, who knew, for you guys that know Jocko, you know, you look at him and you would not want to meet him in the dark alley, but that he could write kids' books that rhyme just like Dr. Seuss and that have a purpose and a meaning, not just, you know, oh, that was cute, but, you know, teach kids about fear and teach them about leadership. And, you know, it's it's amazing the impact that Mark is still having, you know, he was one of the main characters in American Sniper, the movie, but they threw him under the bus the way they portrayed him. I always tell people, go watch History Channel did a series called The Warfighter. And the first one they did was the story of Mark Lee and Charlie Petit. That's his teammates retelling it. That's the real story of who Mark was. But it's still really weird to see your kid's name on a headstone or on a memorial wall. Or in a movie or a book, you know, when Mark was born, I was just trying to figure out how am I going to keep him? How am I going to feed these three little kids just gone through a divorce? Um, their father had tried to kill me and very abusive. And there was no hope. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. I'm just survival here. You know, day, day after day. Okay, I got food for him today. I got food for him for today. And to see how Mark turned out, to see how my other two kids turned out, to see, you know, Mark that's changing the world and my other two kids that are impacting the world where, where they're at, in spite of all the struggles, in spite of all the mistakes I made, you know, there's an amazing end to the story when we allow God to control that and rewrite that. It's so powerful. And we were discussing before Gates of Fire, Stephen Prestfield talking about the Battle of Thermopylae, talking about the 300. And you're you're familiar with the concept, but for the people that are not, one of the mothers of one of the men that were go- actually it was her her son and her husband that had been selected to be part of the 300 and leonidas knew that they they were not coming back this was just to try to stop things to give greece an opportunity to eventually win and she asked why did you give me this this horrible horrible pain you know what's going to happen he says well first of all i'm going with them Second of all, I went because I knew that the mothers, I knew that the women, I looked at their character and how strong they were and how courageous they were and how they were willing to lead because they will hold us together. They will be the the mortar that holds these bricks together that gives us that capacity. And you are the physical manifestation of that spirit, in my opinion, Mama Lee. 
the things that you're doing, the the courage that you display every day, just the way that you raised your your children in that situation, not knowing what was going to happen next, walking by faith and not by sight, having that strength to to demonstrate to the world, the only time that we are defeated is when we give up. And for all of us, if we give up at the first sign of adversity, we are literally giving up and teaching ourselves to surrender when we should be fighting the hardest. So thank you for what you're doing. And you're missing that blessing that you get in the midst of the pain and the adversity to develop that strength, to see where your strength is going to come from. And when I was a young mom, there was probably not a lot of strength in there other than I refused to quit. I refused to give up. I was not going to be a welfare mom. I wasn't going to let the state, you know, raise me. I wasn't going to take all their handouts. These were my children. I birthed them. I was responsible. Now, yes, their father should have been responsible to share some of that burden, but that wasn't the state's requirement to do that. The culture of of his family was that way. There were, you know, a sister-in-law that they lived on welfare. We would get at at Christmas time, I'd look under the tree and there'd be one present for each one of my kids. And I look at her tree, you couldn't even see the tree. There were so many presents stacked up around it because she'd gone to, you know, this event got three things and this event and three things. And and I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So I think that just the perseverance, not quitting. And then as I, you know, trusted God more and as he built that strength in me and as I, you know, read more books and, you know, studied God's word and the leadership that's in there is amazing. But then I continue to grow and God's like, okay, she's ready for the next battle. Let's try that next next testing field. And it's like, again, not that anybody, I'm not anything special. Anybody could choose to do this. If I could go through all the adversity and crap that I went through without the tools being born with it or given to me or, you know, paid for so I could do this, anybody can do this. It's a choice that you make to say, today's going to be different. I'm going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to go make a difference. And again, not that you're like, I woke up and that first day's agreed. Did I say, I'm going to run a marathon? I just said, I'm going to walk to the end of the driveway. And then the next day I do a little bit more. And then you do a little bit more and a little bit more until while I'm not running marathons, I do walk five miles a day, but (laughs) you know, then it makes, you're just doing baby steps. And so do that in your life. Choose to not quit, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what the pain, whether it's the pain of a broken relationship, where it's the pain of raising your children, whether it's the financial pain, whether it's the pain of losing a job or the pain of losing someone, make a choice to wake up and go make your mark in your corner of your world. Even if it's like, okay, I'm going to go knock on my neighbor's door today and I'm going to ask them if I can walk their dog or there's anything I can do for them. Or I'm going to go get a gift card for $5 and take it to them so they can go have coffee. You know, maybe that's a little more easy. And then once you've done that, then you build on the next thing. And you realize how good you feel when you've done that. You're like, that was pretty cool. That felt amazing. Not because I'm somebody special or not because of my ego, just to give. When you give, it makes you feel so special. I mean, think how special we feel when somebody does something for us, you know, that's unexpected. It's like, wow, that was 
that's pretty cool. They took the time to do that. And it changes. You've got a new little bounce in your step. You're excited about the day. You know, if you're getting coffee and somebody buy, paid for coffee in front of you, you may buy coffee for the person behind you and then it's multiplied. So, but it all comes with making that choice in your mind to say, not with what my ego is telling me that I can't do this or that I'm better than I am because our ego messes with us. But just to say, I am going to get up today and do one thing. I'm going to find one random act of kindness. I'm going to do one thing of exercise. and I'm going to do one thing to give to somebody else. Whether it's serving or giving, it doesn't even have to be financial if you don't have the finances. I promise you, you will find your life so different. You know this. You've had to go through this in your struggles. And so you've seen this happen in your life as well. But for those who are listening, these are such simple things that will bring such a major change in your life. Mama Lee, thank you for making the choice to lead others, to make this adversity mean something, to carry on Mark's legacy. And thank you for the, the time to be here with us today. You bet. You know, I, I just think of Mark in his final actions. You know, he stood in the line of fire three times just on August 2nd. His life tells me, well, it wasn't three times in his whole career. Just that day, he, you know, stood in the line. He'd done it several other times before, but um, the last time they cleared several houses and they were getting ready to go up the steps and they heard Mark yell, on me. And if you've served, you know what he was saying. Yes. He was saying, yes. I got the lead on this. You guys follow me. We've got a bigger mission to take care of up here. And I can't do it alone. And so that's my challenge to each one of you. Just make that choice and say, on me, take the lead somewhere, but don't do it alone. Get people to go with you to accomplish your mission. Um, and, and then be that leader. I don't care what age you are. You know, you can choose to do that. You don't have to be an adult. My grandkids all the time. You know, one of them struggling right now with football, they had a horrible circumstance where the guy from the state of Arizona absconded with all their money for their club team, left them midway through the year with no money to continue to play. And so the coaches have, you know, struggled together to find games where the kids are, you know, discouraged. And now they're just kind of given up. And my one grandson, I'm like, so what do you can, what can you do about it? I don't know. Well, what can you do about it? I guess I could encourage them when they're talking negatively i could say hey that's that's not true we could do this or we could do that yeah you're right i can do something and so yes. we all have an influence you know and that comes back to the make your mark you know and i always tease i'm like well i made my mark <laughs> <laughs> but and he definitely made his mark so we don't have to make the same mark that mark allen lee made but you will be blessed if you go make a mark today in your corner of the world Absolutely. So go stay on me, on me, and make your mark. Absolutely. Everyone, go to America's Mighty Warriors. Go support this. Go make your mark. Mama Lee, thank you so much. You bet. Thank you for having me. That was an honor. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Octa Non Verba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.